Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Welcome to another week of discussions with people who are involved in independent music. And, you know, whether they're playing in bands, whether they're creating it in other capacities, putting out records, whatever it is, we are focused on it. And I've been doing it for, my goodness, so many years. I actually was uh, went away for the weekend with some friends and we were talking about, uh, you know, how long we've been going to shows and participating in stuff. And it's like, Dude, I mean, I've been going to, so I'm 39 years old now. Happy birthday to me. Thank you very much for those of you that uh, reached out to wish that to me. Thank you. That um, Mine was last week. So yeah, I'm 39 years old. I've been going to shows since I was like 12 or 13 years old by myself when I was 15. Um, and so yeah, that's a long time. But anyways, thank you for joining us. And if you want to listen to other episodes of this show, you can always go to 100wordspodcast.com and find the show archive there. And it has a nice little handy player where you can rifle through it. It's super, super simple. And you can also email the show 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. If you have not left a review or a comment on whatever particular podcast platform you're listening on, please do that. I would appreciate it, whether that's on Apple Podcast or Stitcher or Overcast, however you're consuming it please do that because it helps the show and, uh, you know, kind of boosts legitimacy and all that other stuff. So, but anyways, we are diving deep into the beautiful state of North Carolina because, uh, yeah, I just happened to have been, um, you know, really, really interested in that scene for a long time. And then, uh, I spoke to a few people. I had like, you know, one or two of these interviews in the can. And then I was like, wait a minute, let's make this whole month, North Carolina month. And that's what we did. We had Tommy Rogers from between the buried and me last week, which was a great episode because I got a lot of positive feedback on that. And this week is Jimmy Chang. He plays it currently in a band called sect, which is one of my favorite bands around right now. If you've not listened to their records, you are missing out because it is dirty, pissed, loud. It's all of those things with members of Earth Crisis and Left for Dead and just it's great stuff. But anyways, so Jimmy plays in Sect. He also played in Undying. He also played a little bit in Catharsis. And he also did, <clears throat> I think, some uh, guitar tech work for Between the Barry to Me as well. But um, yeah, I've I, I've never met him. Uh, and we got connected to uh, via a mutual friend. And uh, I've watched his many of his bands play over the years. And uh, I was always it was always like that. That dude seems cool. I hope that I can meet him one day. And then here we go. We had a podcast. So that's what we got. Let's get some uh, some fun announcements out of the way. Uh, I will be on the East Coast. Taken is playing two shows. One of them is in New York City in Brooklyn on November 9th, and the other one is in Philadelphia. Now, I realize for those of you that are, are paying super close attention, I said Boston at one point. No. On, uh, let's see, November 8th, we are playing Philadelphia at, uh, oh man, I'm totally blanking on the, uh, the room that we were playing in. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. But anyways, regardless, you can find it on the internet. You're, you're smart, but yes, we are playing those shows. It is spectacular. And I'm very excited because I can't tell you the last time that I actually played a show on the East coast of the United States of America. Um, it was probably 2003. So it's, it's been quite some time. So come on out. If you're a fan of the podcast, please check it out. We actually on uh, the New York city show is in Brooklyn at uh, King Kingsland Tavern or just Kingsland. You can find it pretty easily. Tickets are on sale now. So yeah, come hang out. And uh, I would appreciate that. So yeah. And how am I doing? I appreciate you asking because I've been going through a lot of mental health struggles recently. My new job has not been panning out in the way that I have wanted it to, and it's caused a lot of stress, anxiety, uh, fear of the future. So I started visiting a therapist uh, two weeks ago. She's helping out a lot. Friends are helping out a lot. My own sort of self-care and self-preservation uh, techniques have been helping a lot. And you, the listener, who have reached out to me, you know, emailing me, 
whatever, sending me messages on Instagram, whatever the case may be. I just really, really appreciate that. So, um, yeah, I'm working my way back to kind of feeling like what I am, you know, what I did, not maybe not what I did before, maybe a different version of myself <laughs> than what I was before. Cause yeah, I mean, talking about, you know, taking some anti-anxiety medication, um, with not only my therapist, but I'm going to visit a psychologist soon. Um, so it's kind of jarred a lot of these things loose in my head, this, this recent stress with my work, um, for things that, you know, I just haven't dealt with in my life. Um, so from the, the trauma that I felt once, uh, you know, my wife started to go through a diagnosis with cancer a couple of years ago. And, uh, yeah, it's all, it's all kind of just shaken loose. All these things are connected. And so, uh, but yeah, regardless, I, I'm, I'm very public in how I am as an individual, <laughs> um, and my own well-being Cause I, I just can't, I cannot hide it. I cannot get on the mic here with you and just be like, oh yeah, everything's fine. I'm just, you know, here, here's the interview because uh, I feel like we are in sort of a weird one-sided transactional relationship where it's like, you know, I want to share with you, I'm getting this, I'm getting as much out of this podcast as you are getting from it, from a consumer perspective. It's, it's very, very therapeutic for me. So anyways, that's, that's, that's what's on my mind. So Jimmy Chang, great conversation. Let's dive into it right now. And of course, I will tell you who's on next week at the very end of the episode. So always stick around. There's always fun nuggets that I drop at the end. So here we go. What does not even say? What is right? Do it just to close our eyes? Or is it the doubt of stain? Or the treasures of our humanity? That would help us a million new ways. Of your satellite from the grass. Push upon being a a 38 year old uh you know a hardcore adult i guess i would call myself even though yeah, yeah. i'm sure you still feel like a child i feel like a child too so yeah absolutely it's weird <laughs> <laughs> but I, ne- I never got to see catharsis even though i know you guys did play southern california at least once right or am i wrong in that uh, you mean since we came back or since in the old days, in the old days, in the old days. Oh, I'm sure they did in the old days. Yeah. I was actually only, I was only, I was in the band in the beginning and then in the reunion, you know, I wasn't oh, in there okay. for any of the, like, I mean, for, for any of the really great stuff I wasn't a part of. <laughs> <laughs> That's a- I actually tell the story that, you know, we, me and, so me and the bass player of catharsis, Jonathan, uh-huh. we basically quit to start the band that would be undying, you know, but when they recorded Samsara, you know, Brian called and was like, Hey, would you guys want to come over and hear the new record? And we were like, totally. Cause we were still, you know, fans and friends. And we went over there and, you know, he had this like dual tape player boombox set up with the, the old kind that would play two tapes at a time. You know, it's probably a huge mistake, but, and he had like the intro, I mean, you're familiar with Sam, sorry. He had the like piano and operatic intro on one cassette and he busted out a stopwatch, which if you know, Brian's, just, you know, he busted out a stopwatch and hit play and like timed it and then started the other tape, which was the feedback that starts, you know, the record. And, uh, and when it kicked in, I actually said to him, when the song was over, I was like, I hadn't known you were going to record that. I wouldn't have quit the band. <laughs> Dude, that is an amazing story because <laughs> like just being, yeah, I was like, had I known you were going to make that? I wouldn't have quit the band. <laughs> right, right. Like face to face with the idea of like, you know, this, this massive, uh, you know, sort of seismic shifting thing. I mean, within the context of punk and hardcore, where you're just like listening to the record and you're like, oh, oh, so I, I, maybe I built out a little early. Because <laughs> yeah, so I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I still, to this day, I think Exterminating Angel is one of like my favorite heavy songs of all time. I mean, top five for sure, if not one of, you know, if not the top. I mean, music, lyrics, I love, you know, catharsis period and uh yeah so when they got back to you when you know we were working I, we were trying to talk them into getting back together for years you know and uh and they were doing the discography and i was like doing some guitar stuff on it you know they tracked it here or you know they just added vocals to one and some extra guitar and uh and even uh, then we were like dude you're doing this discography you gotta play again and you know i guess they were just playing it close to the vest because i was dropping brian off the last night of working on that he got out of my car and then he leaned back in and was like would you want to play a reunion and i was like dude are you kidding <laughs> like absolutely yeah, <laughs> so, yeah like, I, no I'm problem sure they played i would imagine they played southern california quite a bit i mean they went everywhere you know a lot back then but we have played southern california since we got back together yeah we played uh 
I don't remember. It was a few years back we played out there. We played. Uh, it was a. There was supposed to be a big fest. Oh, that's right. The, that's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, the I, fest went off the rails and like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that right. That's right. No, I I, that, that, I remember you guys definitely doing that. But yeah, we played with Gehenna. I think. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. The uh, the thing that I was going to mention was the uh, you know it basically it felt like I mean with catharsis, but then you know especially with Undying, where. It felt like, and I'm sure this isn't uh, you know new to you from this perspective. The idea that uh, the the band was uh, too early, where it was like the style of music that you guys were playing was increasingly popular, especially from an un, right. you know undying like that whole you know sure. melodic death metal mixed with hardcore or whatever. Um, yeah, but it didn't kind of cross into the, the you know the whatever mainstream hardcore stuff yet. Um, it was was that is that something I guess you retrospectively like recognize or yeah i mean i think we recognized it at the time even i mean you know but for sure i mean for sure it was like i guess i mean it's one of those things like you know the it's like a historical question right people always talk about you know if you could go back and kill hitler right i mean it's i think things are ready to happen in culture at a certain time like you know all the context of history is like pointing towards something right so it's like we just you know us in prayer just happened to like get the records out early, I guess, you know, like there were other, you know, darkest hour was doing, there were lots of bands, I think doing it or, you know, getting, you know, like, uh, I'm trying to think year of our Lord, there were other bands that we would hear. We're like, Oh, they're doing kind of what we're doing. You know, I think we just happened to like, you know, for whatever reason we got lucky <laughs> people in our area were receptive to it or whatever, you know, but yeah, it definitely caught on more, but I think that's just because, you know, kids were hearing about, you know, those bands or whatever, you know, cause we would always tell kids cause you know, we'd just be like, Oh yeah, we just listened to at the gates and my night bride go buy those records. <laughs> you know, and I think it was just, those bands were becoming big, you know, like beyond our taste too, you know? So, and then you're kind of what you're talking about off mic mm-hmm. where, you know, you, uh, you, you per se are not the uh, center of attention for uh, most of the projects that you have played in. Like, you know, I mean, people, clearly see oh, you yeah, yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> which it seems like that's by choice of you um but you know i i literally know nothing about you besides the fact that like i have you know enjoyed all of the musical output that you've put out but like you know oh, were you thanks <laughs> you're welcome were you yeah were you born and raised in north carolina or where did you come up yeah i was born and raised in charlotte actually i mean my parents are from taiwan but they you know went to college here and everything so i was born and raised in charlotte and you know basically i've only lived around, I mean, I've only lived around North Carolina, you know, I've moved around North Carolina over the years, but, uh, yeah, I've never actually lived, uh, really out of state. Got it. And what, what brought your parents to the States? Was it the, uh, you know, proverbial land of opportunity, American dream scenario? <laughs> I, I guess so. Yeah. I never, you know, I've never really talked to them about it. Like we're not overly close. So, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. I would assume, you know, college, they went to they, I think they both went to university here. So, you know, I guess it was just, uh, Yeah probably the land of opportunity exactly the land of limitless opportunity we yeah wanna, exactly we want to make sure our son plays in vegan hardcore bands his whole life yeah exactly <laughs> right <laughs> i seem like a real you know a real uh, promise in the 70s <laughs> oh the oh the quote-unquote wasted opportunity <laughs> right but little little did you know you didn't up on a podcast talking about it many years later so there you go yeah who knew? <laughs> um and so what was your I guess, kind of like family structure and sort of, you know, growing up, like, were you, you know, a happy kid? Were you a sports kid? Like, where'd you kind of find yourself? Uh, I mean, I was, you know, overall a happy kid. I wasn't like a, I was, you know, I guess I was a nerdy kid. I mean, I honestly growing up in the, growing up in the South in the, you know, I was born in 1974, I'm 45 and growing up in the South back then being, you know, Asian was like, you know, there weren't, I mean, I think that myself and my sister were the only Asian kids you know, in our school a lot of times, and sure. maybe one other. So, you know, it was, uh, and I, you know, yeah, I was a nerdy kind of, you know, kid. You know, I was into like, I mean, I guess I was into the, a lot of the same stuff as other kids, but I read a lot. I didn't play sports. You know, actually, you know, I liked music and stuff like that. But, you know, I was a little kid. I think, you know, I was probably like other kids, you know, just, you know, I you know, goofed off, had fun. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, but I mean, that, that is an important point. The idea that, you know, you were, uh, especially in the area where you were raised, it's like, Hey, I don't see a lot of people that look like me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was definitely, uh, you know, it was, uh, wasn't difficult, but you know, it was different. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, and it is weird. Like when you kind of look at the, uh, you know, untainted eye of a child where it's like, you know, as you start to kind of like 
recognize, you know, how different people look and like different people's experiences and stuff like that. And like when you, uh, you know, are a child that obviously doesn't look like your stereotypical, you know, whatever white suburban kid, um, it's kind of like, uh, oh yeah, like they're, I don't, I would like to maybe have some friends that kind of look like me and had a similar experience, but like, I don't really have that choice per se. Yeah. It's weird because growing up and, you know, I've known other, you know, yeah, I guess immigrants or, you know, kids who, uh, I mean, I, it was less a feeling of that and more a feeling, uh, more that I just, you know, I, everybody around me was, you know, white or black, you know, so I just assumed you know, I mean, I, it was less that I was longing to meet other people, you know, of my, you know, uh, cause I wasn't raised my, I don't know if my parents, you know, at that, you know, I think it's important, it was important in later decades, uh, you know, to like maintain your culture and traditions and stuff like that. But I think that maybe when I was very young, you know, my parents were more invested in me assimilating into American culture, you know, so I don't, I don't speak Chinese. I can't read, you know, I can understand a very little, you know, I didn't grow up, you know, I grew up like wanting to be American, Sure. you know, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, you know, I, uh, so it wasn't that I really longed for other Chinese people. And I don't want to say that I long, I don't mean that in the sense like I longed to be, to fit in more, but you see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, no, well, the, the expectation was that you would be, you know, a, Western kid. Um, as right. I think that, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think that maybe the ideas were, and I'm sure it varied, you know, wildly across the board, but you know, there was no real stress on that growing up, you know, like, a, you know, the identification with your like native culture or anything like that. I don't re- call that really being a thing not at least not in my house you know sure sure yeah i know and i always found it interesting too because i I tended just for my own personal experience like i for whatever reason like all through elementary school my closest friends were like either korean or chinese and it wasn't like interesting and there was there wasn't any like rhyme or reason to it. It was just the fact sure, that like it just happens. <laughs> yeah, like we were you know like similar interests, like you know nerdy stuff. But then you know like we like to shoot basketballs or whatever. But just being able to like walk into someone's house and have it being distinctly different than yours was like such oh, a yeah. you know it's just like oh you always have rice cooking like this is awesome like you know <laughs> sure, and, yeah. I, and I'm just, just making something different that you're not used to seeing as a right. kid you're just like oh okay you know this isn't like my house you know <laughs> totally and I, I think it was uh yeah it was just really cool to kind of experience that um you know and and I'm sure it was interesting obviously for you being able to experience the you know like completely steeped in western culture and then like go home and you know have a different experience there as well sure yeah absolutely and what was your uh your do you have an older or younger sister younger sister got it so were you uh you don't strike me i mean there are elements of your personality again this is like you know observing you from afar uh you don't seem like a troublemaker per se but uh you know were were you as a uh, as a kid Oh yeah, I was. <laughs> I mean, I was a good kid up until a certain point, and okay. I think probably like a lot of people of our generation or whatever. Like once I got into skateboarding, and from that into punk rock, like yeah, everything went to pieces. <laughs> sure, yeah, I, yeah. I guess you know, as you like, started to claim your own identity in a way. Yeah, exactly. And and in that sense, I think that that was probably when you know, like, uh, you know, uh, my folks got divorced when I was really young. I lived with my dad, and I think that's probably when he was like, oh. You know, like, and I've, and again, I've known other kids of immigrants who had similar experiences where they, you know, your parents come from a very different, a more traditional, and maybe for lack of a better word, strict, you know, uh, like familial, you know, or, or arrangement. So, you know, when the kids start going wild, they don't know what to do. You know, like they don't handle it well. You know, they're like, what is this? You know, sure. <laughs> you know, what are you doing? You know, like, uh, so yeah, starting, you know, yeah, you know, punk rock was a begin, the beginning of the end for everybody, I guess. You know? Right, right, right. And what, and what age were you starting to get uh, exposed to that? Uh, I mean, I grew up into like, like I liked, you know, heavy metal as a kid, like a really young kid. I, you know, I liked, you know, ACDC, Iron Maiden. I think the first tape I ever got was uh, Out of the Cellar by Rat, you know, and, uh, you know, and when I got into skateboarding, like the, the, like the age group that I skateboarded with, you know, music was just whatever, you know, everybody was just into what they were into, but we were into skateboarding, but the older kids, like maybe the next generation up or, you know, not even generation, the next year or two up, the cooler skateboarder kids, like they were all into punk, you know, like they were all punks and, you know, we were just like, oh, weird, you know, and uh, we had one friend who, you know, kind of like, he was cool. He hung out with the like 
cooler, older skateboarder kids, you know, and he was into punk and he was always trying to sell me on punk, you know, and this was, you know, junior high. I was probably, you know, the 12, 13 13, era. Yeah. And he was always trying to sell me on punk and he was like, you know, he'd be like, yeah, that Motley Crue record's cool, but check this out. And he'd play me. And I just always, I, you know, usually was like, ah, I'm not interested. <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, I think it was hearing GBH for the first time that I was like, oh, this I like, you know. Yeah. Ah, okay. I, li- you know, I, I really like how you phrase that, like selling you on punk. Cause like it, that it really is true. Like I'm sure many people had that experience where you're into a certain style of music and then someone sells you on like a yeah, different they're like that's not cool totally cool. You know? <laughs> right yeah, and it's such a like don't a, listen to that la- yeah don't listen to that lame you know iron maiden i mean don't get me wrong i love iron maiden but you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. where it's like yeah, yeah, they're like this is long cool yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly they're like this is cool you should be listening to you know and uh and yeah they just you know eventually i mean like anything i'm sure same for you you know eventually you heard bands you're like wait this i like like you know i, I didn't know it could be like this you know <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> no i really I didn't think about it in those, like you phrasing it like that just really like viscerally struck a chord in me where it was just like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, whatever I went from listening to like blink One Eighty Two to being like, yo, have you heard the subhumans and just like, Holy crap. <laughs> exactly. Like this is, this yeah. is it's a huge shift, but I get it. So, I understand. <laughs> yeah. You know, you hear the thing that you're like, yeah, you know, this is, you know, GBH, I think, you know, was a little, they were a little more, I don't want to say metal, but you know, they were a little more hardcore, I guess. You yeah. know, a lot of the punk he was playing me and I was like, Oh, this is, you know, and then from there i just went crazy i bought everything you know anything in thrasher you know just the ad look at the ads in thrasher and you know they'd give away records with subscriptions like every month you know like if you subscribe you get you know tsol or snfu or whatever other acronym band but, you know yeah i would <laughs> yeah, just yeah. buy anything that was in there you know just hit or miss just you know there was a record store close to my house and i would just skateboard over there go to their import section which why was it called imports i don't know but you know we go to the import section and just you know oh, i saw that in thrasher just whatever you know it saved up my lunch money or whatever and buy you know buy whatever tape yeah, no, that's the, of course, yeah. It's like, a, those are obviously the era of blind buys where you're just like... Yeah, hey, absolutely. <laughs> hey, man, this band got thanked in another record or the artwork is sick. Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bought so many things just based on the artwork. You know, it's like, this looks awesome, I'll buy it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to welcome back one of our sponsors, Rockabilia. That is the place that you need to order band merch. Unequivocally, some of the best customer service I've ever seen and received. It's a small, independently owned company based in the Midwest, selling you the best, not only quality, but quantity. They have like half a million items from every band you could possibly ever imagine. You know, the, the sort of huge stuff like, you know, your Beatles and Ramones and Rolling Stones and stuff like that, um, all the way down to their Halloween stuff. They have so much cool Halloween stuff in stock right now. They've got Misfits action figures. They got a ton of Rob Zombie stuff. And basically, whatever spooky-ish thing you are interested in, they have it in spades. I love this company so much. And you can use the code PC100, that's the number, 100 words, and that gets you 15% off of your order, okay? So dive in, order some stuff, get it in time for Halloween, or you can already start thinking about the holidays. Be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to be able to get all of my shopping done in one spot. Rockabilly is the best, and I am very excited that they are partnering with the show Again, it is so great. So visit rockabilly.com, use the code PC100words, and you will get a discount, okay? Buy it up. Love them so much. Now, on with the show. And so as you started to kind of go down that rabbit hole and start to, you know, be exposed to bands that, you know, clearly had a a message because... every band you have ever played in is rooted in a a very specific train of thought and you're trying to get your message across. You are definitely, um, you know, it's, it's very meaningful. So I'm guessing both of those things kind of happened in tandem, the discovery of the subculture and then understanding that these bands are actually saying something. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, probably for, for most kids, I feel like, you know, you reach, I mean, you get to a certain age, I guess, as a kid, especially if you're into any sort of like subculture, you know, or, you know, and you start to look around and you're just like, yeah, I don't know. People don't seem, you know, my parents don't seem happy. Like I'm not attracted to like, you know, the, you know, quote unquote American dream, you know, the, you know, I don't like, you know, something seems wrong with the world. You're a kid, you don't know, you know, but you look around and you're like, I don't know, you know, things don't seem right. You know, people are unhappy, like, you know, bad stuff seems to be going on. I don't get it. You know, like, why is it like this? Then I think punk was, you know, for me anyway, it was a thing 
that was, you know, because it was one of the first things that was like, yeah, you know, punk and hardcore, hardcore especially, you know, because punk was a little more nihilistic, and, you know, but definitely was like the first things that were like, yeah, you know, you're right. There's something wrong with the world. We agree. You know, here's what we think it is and here's what, you know, we want to do about it, you know? And I think that for me, you know, like that's, yeah, I always say like, you know, I believe in, you know, I believe in hardcore and punk, you know, even, you know, over the years you get disillusioned or whatever, but I always believe in it because I know it makes a difference because, you know, it made a difference to me, you know, in my life. Like I wouldn't be who I am, you know, if it weren't for the, those bands that I listened to, you know, I wouldn't be straight edge, I wouldn't be vegan. You know, it was those bands that, that changed my life or changed the way I thought, you know, not, even if it's not a question of like, I copied them, which I probably did when I was young, but, you know, it made me think about things. So in that sense, you know, I'm always like, well, you know, yeah, I'll always kind of believe in them the power of you know punk rock and hardcore because you know i know it can make a difference because it made a difference to me yeah oh no absolutely because i I think that was uh, you know i always remember having conversations with people when you know the the moment that people like actually heard screaming and music and they were just like oh it's like (laughs) trash and i don't understand it or whatever and then it was like you know sitting down with the person and like here these are the lyrics and these are what they're saying and then uh you know still have obviously most people just like completely write it off but it's like yeah yeah well this is obviously not for you and like there's clearly right, totally. there's clearly a difference between the stuff that is obviously played on the radio that is you know easy like not only easy to get into but like you know vapid from any you know meaning or any connection to anything that has something of substance and so yeah I right I, well it's common denominator you know yeah easily yeah i mean you know if you want to sell a lot of records you got to appeal to everybody i guess you know? totally yeah yeah <laughs> exactly you gotta you gotta be the appeal to the every man and every woman of the country right sure yeah, <laughs> yeah no yeah totally i mean it's you know there's definitely there's you know it, there's no denying there's a certain kind of person that's attracted to stuff like this you know but you know, yeah, definitely. It was the, it was the thing. It was the first thing I ran across that was like, yeah, you know, you're right. You know, like, you know, the world is messed up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's a, you know, I mean, I'm sure lots of, you know, usually lots of people say this, but it's a feeling like, oh, I'm not alone. And, you know, thinking this, you know, I'm not alone and feeling like, oh, you know, yeah, like something, you know, for sure, for sure. Maybe, maybe there's, you know, something better out there. Right. Right. Um, and so when you, like you mentioned, you were kind of, you know, nerdy and like to read a lot and stuff like that. Did you have any sort of, um, you know, like, did you like school? Did you have a vision on like, Oh man, I can't wait to go to college <laughs> or like, you know, oh, it, God. Oh, no. yeah. I, I hated school. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I always hated school and uh, you know, I, I eventually did give college a try. I'd been out of high school for a bunch of years and I was like, I don't know. You know, I just had, you know, I was like landscaping, painting lines and parking lots, you know, those kinds of jobs. And I was like, I gotta, you know, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life, <laughs> but I hated, you know, I tried college for a little bit. I hated that. Yeah. I don't know. I just never, uh, I had, fr- here's the weird thing. I had friends, I have lots of friends who were into, who liked school, you know, university, you know, college and stuff. And, uh, they were like into, most of them were like, were into the sciences, you know, and they enjoyed it. And I was sure. always thought, cause I was always, you know, I was like an anthropology major and stuff like that. Or, you know, I was into like, you know, English and stuff, but I felt like there was a lot of opinion and stuff like that. Whereas if you're learning science, it's more like fact-based. Maybe there's less pushback. You feel less frustrated or something, you know? Sure, sure. But yeah, as a kid, no, I didn't like school. <laughs> I yeah. Stand. yeah. <laughs> and was it one of those things that when you were consumed with, like, once music became kind of your central identity or focus, is that all you could, like, really pay attention to? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure that, like, you know, you're a musician too. I'm sure it's the same. Yeah, as soon as you. Especially with, you know, punk and hardcore, the thought that, like, oh, I could be in a band. <laughs> yeah. You know, I could do this. Like, yeah. And then it's just, that's all you care about, you know, for sure. Sure. I mean, so, I dropped out of college because of undying. You know, like, we were just, we were playing too much. And I was like, well, enough of this. <laughs> yeah, enough, enough of this. Gotta, gotta hit the road and play yeah. Coos Cafe in yeah. Santa again. <laughs> exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. I saw, I. Were you at that? Oh, dude. I, uh, honestly, ever, I, I really don't think that there was a time that I missed undying when you guys came to Southern California. Cause not only did you guys come here a decent amount, but like you obviously like did well, you know, like there were kids yeah, that came yeah. out to so your shows California and stuff. was always good. Yeah. At Coos Cafe. That was the first time we were ever out there. Right. I mean, that had to be real. That was really early. Cause is it, I think when we played there, we played like two songs and a huge fight broke out and we didn't, we didn't play. Uh, absolutely. Yep. So <laughs> yeah. I definitely remember that show. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah. Y- yeah. You guys just had your, your first EP that came out. Um, yeah. Yeah. We drove all the way across the country just to play. 
Well, so we had played with Clear from Salt Lake City. Oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, I think Sean, was he their bass player? Like, you know, he, he you know, we got to be f- friends with them. And uh, he worked at a record store, I guess, in Salt Lake at the time. Or maybe he ran a record store. I don't know. But, and he was like crazy supportive, like he were back then, you know, and he would like, I mean, he sold tons of our records, I guess. And he was, you know, that was the height of the Salt Lake City thing. And he was like, you know, you guys have to come out here. You got to come out to Salt Lake City. You know, you got to play here. It'll be huge. And we were like, you know, at that point we were driving up and down the East Coast and we were like, yeah, fuck it, we'll do it. <laughs> we wanted to, we had never, most of us had never been out of like, you know, I mean, prior to being in a band, I'd never really been anywhere. I think most everybody else in the band was like that. So the idea of driving across the country, we were like, that sounds amazing. You know, like we'll do it just to do that. We don't care about a show, you know? Sure, it's vacation. So yeah, so we, yeah, and you know, Jonathan booked everything back then, and, but you know, we hadn't been anywhere. So yeah, he booked Salt Lake. Sacramento at West Coast Worldwide with Mike Hood and then, oh, uh, yeah, yeah Brand- some I don't know how he met up with Brandon Chappetti, you know, but somehow you know, and so he booked us at the Coos Cafe and we drove all the way across the country, played Salt Lake City, which was insane, uh, Sacramento, which I think was a lot of fun, and then yeah, Coos Cafe, we played like two songs. I got the sucks. Yeah, it's like great. So that, there, there that <laughs> <Yeah>. goes. <laughs> I remember Brandon felt so bad. Yeah. Afterwards, like he was like so bummed, and we were like, "Dude, don't worry. We've had the most fun. <laughs> you know, we've had so much fun out here. Like, yeah, don't sweat it. Like, you know, <laughs> we played good shows or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had to, we never thought. Yeah, we'd ever. You know, driving across the country was amazing. You know, we, you know sure. it was so much fun. So you know, we were like, "Don't sweat the show." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's incredible. Um, yeah. What your uh, your first band experience? Because I imagine the uh, you at the sort of origin point of catharsis, like that was not your first band, I'm guessing, or was it? Oh yeah, no, no, no. I'd had you know, uh, I had the first real band I had was probably when I was like, I guess I was fifteen or sixteen. You know, I had a, a me and some didn't go to my school but you know guys from charlotte you know uh, actually one of which rob that played drums and the majority of undying uh you know he uh we had a band we had a couple bands you know like in high school age bands you know hardcore bands and uh and then you know we eventually had like a more serious band you know uh war prayer that did you know we played shows did like a split seven inch and, uh, and then i think basically from there i joined catharsis yeah got it got it well and what was that uh, first band attempting to sound like uh, just New York hardcore, you nice. know, like that was our big thing, you know, <laughs> like, uh, sure. you know, our, our, I think when I met Rob and our singer, Tim, not Tim from undying, but different Tim, he, uh, you know, like our common ground was, you know, sick of it all, you know, agnostic front stuff like that. You know, I think the first song Rob and I ever played together was the eliminator by agnostic front <laughs> in a world where everyone is confined to their homes. Society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors, Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Bridge Nine Records. When I say that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. One of the best record labels and longest running record labels within the hardcore music scene. They're the best and they are supporting the show and I can't thank them enough. They want me to tell you, and I am excited to tell you about Two agnostic front pre-orders they have up right now. They have a limited edition seven-inch single, limited to two thousand copies. They're never going to press this bad boy again. That comes with an exclusive song, as well as some songs off their upcoming full length on Nuclear Blast. So let's listen to a little bit of it right now, and you will probably just pre-order the seven-inch immediately afterwards. Okay, so hold on. Let's listen to this. Yeah. 
How rad is that? And they also have a limited edition live seven inch up attached to the Godfathers of Hardcore documentary that came out not too long ago. It is such an amazing film. And you can also get this seven inch that's limited to like, I don't know, a thousand copies or something like that. It is so, so cool. And I just love Bridge Nine. And they have so many other amazing things going on over there from, you know, pre-orders for other records from, you know, Death Before Dishonor and so much cool stuff. So dive into there, support one of the coolest labels around at B9Store.com, pre-order all that stuff, and uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be a better person because of it. So thank you very much, Bridge Nine. And here's the rest of the show. Going back a little bit, but like you, you were mentioning it earlier where your parents were clearly just like, what the hell is happening with Jimmy? I don't understand anything <laughs> of what he's doing. Like I, I imagine. Yeah. I, I, so is that kind of the divide that started to happen where they were just like, okay, you know, we can't control this. Like maybe he just doesn't hurt himself. I guess that's the best we can hope for. Like, was it, was, did it get pretty bad? Uh, yeah, I think, it, I mean, you know, things got bad before that. I mean, you know, uh, like as a young kid, like I, I ran away a lot, you know, I was in a lot of trouble and, you know, I like ran away from, you know, like a lot of kids, I think you run away and I tested the waters a bunch, you know, ran away for a little longer, a little longer, a little longer till finally I was like, okay, see you later. And, uh, you know, so yeah, I had, a, you know, I, you know, had a lot of trouble growing up. And so, you know, by the time like that stuff, by the time I was in high school, you know, I had moved in with my mom. I think, you know, she thought I was a hopeless cause, you know, so I didn't, you know, I wasn't really close with my family at all. So, you know, which is another thing, you know, I think you hear that a lot about people who, you know, get into hardcore and punk or probably most subcultures, you know, you feel like, Oh, you know, I belong, you know, like this is, these guys are my family, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah but I think that was true. That was true for me for sure. Yeah. 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 Did they, uh, did they like kick you out at a certain age or was it, uh, one of those things you tried to avoid that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I had just been into, you know, it was one of those, you know, straw that broke the camel's back. You know, I've been in so much trouble that, you know, it got to that point where it was just like, if you get in more trouble, don't come back. <laughs> you know, which I think it. is probably a common story. You know? Sure. Yeah, you, you do one more thing. and it, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And at that, uh, you know, another reason that, you know, when I discovered, you know, catharsis and kind of started to, you know, dive into the whole, um, you know, crime thing community. And I mean, fortunately we out here in California had ebullition. So like that whole scene, like, Oh so, yeah. Right. So, absolutely. Yeah. And so it's like, once I discovered that and started to shove like, you know, zine culture and, you know, train hopping and like all this stuff, even though mm. like I am a, you know, tried and true, like upper middle class white kid. And I had no place. <laughs> like it was, I've, you know, felt like such a poser reading all this stuff and like liking it. But I was just like, man, this is really cool. Like it doesn't, I'm not going to do it. Like uh, the principles, yeah. I agree with it, but I'm not going to absolutely. Do it. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, I think that that's, you know, I, I th- it's an unrealistic expectation. I think for people to be, you know, not everybody's going to jump both feet into whatever you're into, you know. But it's just a matter of like, you know, sharing your ideas and people get something out of it, you know, for sure. Sure. No, that's that's a good point. Um, and I, I'm going to. Um, guess that most of the uh you know feedback maybe you know now that you've received on obviously the bands that you played in um you know do, do people mostly uh you know kind of identify with the i guess the message more than the music or is it this like interesting combo uh, where people are like oh yeah i like the music but then like the message is what really brought it home to me <laughs> yeah yeah it's probably a mix you know like it, it depends like there's definitely you know like the being straight edge scene is definitely very like you know, close knit and, you know, tight. So there's definitely uh, people who, you know, identify, you know, certain bands with that or whatever. And obviously catharsis kind of thing, but I think it, yeah, there's a mix, you know, there's people who you definitely see people who are like, you know, man, their band's sick, but you know, I hate all that, you know, veganism or whatever, right. <laughs> right. you know? So yeah, it's, I think it's fans of the game. You know? Yeah, that's true. I, everybody is going to pull something uh, different out of, uh, you know, that, those experiences sure. with bands that have messages. I mean, still like, yeah, for sure. I mean, you hope people are taking it to heart, you know, but you know, sometimes people just, you know, want to rock out to the music. You know? <laughs> right. And that, that's why I always find so interesting and engaging for bands that do break it on such like a huge level, whether it's like, you know, rage against the machine or rise against or whatever, where it's like, there are people that are obviously just going to these shows because they think like you said, the music is sick and they can mosh and take off their shirts or whatever. And I'm yeah, just like, absolutely. Uh, it's such a, I mean, we obviously come from a colored perspective to where there's no way that we would ever be able to like separate the music and the message from most bands. But like, 
I, but I guess most people obviously can and do on a common, like all the time, you know? Yeah. I guess it's whatever you grow up with, you know, like we grew up where, you know, the two are integral, you know, music isn't, you know, the message is as important as the music, you know? And, uh, but I guess if you grew up in music, it's just music. <laughs> You're just like, well, I don't know. They got weird lyrics, but whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. You know, or people are surprised what you're about. I mean, like, you know, Earth Crisis would be, you know, another example, I guess, of a band that, you know, was very big, you know, but they have lots of, I mean, even within like hardcore, there's lots of, you know, everybody loves Earth Crisis, but, you know, like not everybody's being trained as clearly, you know, and, you know, touring with them, there's definitely kids that come up and, you know, want autograph. You know, I think uh, one time uh, when I was out with Earth Crisis, one time a kid came up and, you know, very nice, you know, big fan and wanted to talk to Carl and have Carl sign his, his Slither CD and also offered to smoke a joint with Carl. <laughs> so, Perfect. You know, he's just like, well, you know, like this kid loves Earth Crisis. He just didn't read the lyrics, I guess, you know. <laughs> or, I mean, you know, in a lot of kinds of music, especially like metal, right? I mean, the lyrics are sort of an act. You know, they're just a part of the show. Yeah. No, totally. You know, so, you know, like maybe people just feel like, oh, no, that's just their thing, whatever. They're probably regular people underneath. You know, that's just their, you know, that's their corpse paint or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that's their, their spiked brace. That's their spiked bracelet. Yeah. The X's are just, you know, it's a different kind of costume. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, wow. That is a wild. Yeah. That just, that hurt my brain just even thinking. About that. <laughs> oh, we died laughing. What was happening? <laughs> I love but Carl's it. very nice about it, you know. I'm sure, now, yeah. You know, no, thank you. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I don't take part of the reefer, sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, right. And, and so, you know, as you started to, you know, kind of go down the road of obviously, you know, touring and playing in bands, like you said, dropping out of college to, you know, kind of pursue Undying, um, there wasn't any, I mean, especially at that time, too. Yes, you could point to a few bands kind of, you know, quote unquote, making a living or whatever, you know, like whatever, Poison oh, the Well, yeah. and Hate Breed and like bands of that time that mm-hmm. started to be able to, you know, tour consistently. But I, I'm going to guess that like, you know, Undying, like they're you guys had momentum and trajectory. Like it felt good. I mean, you know, once like, Oh, good life wanted to put out a record. I'm sure that was exciting. But did you like, did you, I guess, have a vision for being like, Oh yes, we want to be like a full time, you know, band doing it and like getting out in the road. But like, I know no illusions of grandeur. Like you're going to be like some huge rock band or whatever, but. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, we wanted to, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, you get a taste of it and you're like, oh, this is doable, you know? <laughs> I mean, when we did our first, like, tours, you know, we got our first van for free from my my girlfriend at the time, her parents, you know, so, you know, and it was like, it broke down all the time, you know, I was always working on it, you know, but we would just, there weren't really, it was early on in the days, I guess, of bands just, you know, people would be surprised. They'd be like, you're just out here driving around playing shows, <laughs> you know, you got a demo tape and you're just driving up and down the East Coast, we'd be like, yeah, it's great. You know, and once we got a taste of it, that's just what we wanted to do. You know, like uh, uh, our bass player, Jonathan, he was the dad in the band. You know, he booked everything he did. You know, he held the band together. Uh, he had a real job. I mean, he was like the grown up. You know, he had he had a wife, and, you know, the house had a real job. But the rest of us were just, you know, we just worked whatever shit, you know, you know worked for two weeks, quit, worked for, you know, and we were just, that's all we wanted to do. You know, we just sure. wanted to play. We just wanted to travel around, play in a band, you know. Yeah, you're right. The message and to write very hand to mouth. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we we had no uh, we had no illusion that we would, you know, uh, make money at it or something. You know, I mean, I don't, you know, if we, we would have been ecstatic at that point in the beginning. We would have been ecstatic to make to break even, you know, to make any money at all. You know, right? Yeah, not enough to be like, wait, like we're covering gas right now. Wow, that's sick. yeah, totally. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I remember when we started, you know, paying like per diem to everybody. Like, oh, we're gonna get money every day for food. <laughs> yeah, crazy. wait, ten dollars a day? That's a lot. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know how many tacos? You know how many burritos and tostadas I can get for ten dollars? <laughs> and more. And more importantly, do you know how how uh, you know few dumpsters I need to dive in in order to get like day old bagels? <laughs> right. This is great. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, he, but yeah, no, we just wanted to do it and we love to do it you know sure yeah but the i'm sure that like you know once you know like you said you you started to be able to you know like pay yourself per diems and stuff like that like the you know the business implications start to kind of come into the band um oh for sure did you uh you know did you or do you like enjoy that aspect is that just kind of a necessary thing that you need to like partake in um you know how do you how does it sit in your head 
Oh, it's for me. Yeah, it's definitely just a necessary evil. You know, like you you have to make it work. You know, I mean, I guess towards the, you know, like you said, like when we started, there were, uh, you know, there weren't really. I mean, I remember Poison the Well. Like, I think they just had a record of Good Life. They would like we played some shows when they would just skip their shows. They just come to if we had a day off, they would just like. I remember we had a day off and they just skipped their show and we all went and saw Blair Witch Project. <laughs> I mean, you know, there weren't bands that were really, you know, there was like Hatebreed, Earth Crisis, you know, and there had been like the big Rev bands or the New York bands or whatever, but there weren't, you know, like it never occurred to us that you could like make money and like you know make a living at it so once it yeah in later years yeah obviously bands started to get big and it started to become like a thing and i think we sort of resisted that you know we felt like ah that's selling out or whatever you know like uh and it wasn't until you know bands that we knew were getting big you know that we were like you know, we'd see it and be like, "Oh, you, know, <laughs> you you spent you had how much for your record? You spent how long in the studio? Like, that's possible? Like, we were, you know, I did all, you know, yeah, we we did our whole record in like four days. <laughs> you sure. spent three. We recorded weeks two weeks. Yeah. yeah, you yeah, you spent three weeks in the studio. You know, and that's when we, you know, yeah, we were like, oh boy, you know. So part of our problem was that, like I said, Jonathan was the the dad. You know, he like ran everything in the band, and uh, and he ended up leaving the band. And uh, that sort of like threw a big wrench in the works, you know, like because I became I started to like sort of run the band and I was terrible. at <laughs> I'd never done, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, you know, like I wrote the songs, you know, but Jonathan did everything, you know, and we were just like everybody, you know, he, you know, we were just ungrateful. You know? <laughs> like probably all those years we're just like, ah, this show sucks. Why didn't you, you know, why is the routing messed up or whatever, you know? So once he quit the band, like it just became, you know, thing. it just, we didn't know what to do. You know, we didn't, you know, like we were just like, well, how do we navigate this? You know, like, you know, what do we do? Like the business part, like we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> sure. sure. So, you know, it was one of those things we didn't want to, you know, be a part of the business part of it, you know? Yeah. Just something you can, and even today I don't, you know, but we, you know, we do, I mean, cause it's just, you know, it's just a part of it. You know? mm-hmm. When you, uh, when undying signed to good life, like, cause if I remember correctly, I mean, at that time, I think I was working or I just started to work at century media. Um, and I, I remember like, you know, that was the era in which, you know, every label was trying to pick up, you know, every metalcore band possible. And I sure. remember, you know, undying, like whatever, having a conversation. I mean, maybe that was just like in my head, like having conversation about, you know, you guys from that perspective, but you know, were there other, I guess, labels and opportunities for you guys from that perspective? Or was it like, Oh yeah, good life. Like that's just the most feasible fit. Uh, well, when we, when we did the record on good life, that was, you know, early on, I guess for us, you know, sort of, sure. and, uh, so yeah, we did that record and, uh, it, you, we mainly did it because we were like, well, this means we'll get to go to Europe, you know, for sure. You know, like they're right. huge in Europe. Like we want to go to Europe. You know? Totally. The idea was crazy to us, you know, you could go to Europe, you know, like, and, uh, but yeah, so yeah, we taught you were, you were working for. Uh, Abacus. Abacus, yes. That's, yeah, and I think yeah. that's how we first, you know, met or you know, were introduced to each other. And uh, yes, yeah, we talked to we talked to you guys. We were talking to yeah, we talked to some you know some of the bigger metal metal labels or whatever. And if the band stayed together, we probably would have. But again, in the beginning, we resisted that stuff. You know, like there was an early point in the band where we were like trying to make a decision where would we go because our first record, Matt Miller, the guitar player in Catharsis, put out. I mean, you know, it was it later got reissued, you know, on another on uh, another label, but you know, we uh, and so there was always that with the band because me and Jonathan had been in Catharsis, and you know, Rob like he had like crazy dreadlocks. He was more of a punk guy, you know, and uh, so there was always this kind of you know, we would depending on the town, right? You know, we would just it just depended on how kids had heard of us because I was you know there was really no internet then, and uh, it was the early days of the internet. So you know, if we might go to a town. And all the kids from that town heard of us because they bought the CDs from Catharsis. So, you know, they expected us to be this like crust band that played metal, you know, and we, and so, or, you know, so it, it, there was always this kind of like dichotomy, I guess, you know, and uh, there was a point where we were like, well, let's just, Brian from Catharsis always trying to kind of get us to like, go you know full like diy like you know like you know like crime think would do our records like help us do our record you know we wouldn't go that route right like the bigger label route <laughs> and uh you know so there was always kind of that struggle with us you know where we were like well you know do we want to be like catharsis here is gone or do we want to be like 
you know, these friends of ours and bands who are, you know, making some money, you know, like they're doing it more like a, you know, metal or, you know, type band, you know? Yeah, no, that's a really, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a bygone era, especially the idea. I mean, something you mentioned earlier too, like the idea of selling out, like that concept obviously doesn't even exist anymore. Unless, oh, yeah, totally like, right. unless you're doing something like so egregious that it's like, you know, painfully obvious that anybody can look at it and be like, oh yeah, you're just a corporate shill or whatever. Sure. But yeah, there was such a, uh, <laughs> like having to decide between two lanes of being like, oh yes, like, am I going to be this, you know, ethical you know punk hardcore band that like doesn't have barcodes in the back of their records and like right. you know, really you know leans into the idea that we're not going to play any you know whatever 18 and over venues and like do this right. path or like and and, it, and realistically you can't be anywhere in the middle with either of those two choices like you're either one or the other exactly and that was our problem was we tried to straddle the middle. <laughs> we were like True. we can do this we can you know and, and it just yeah so you know the bands that we you know uh had had met on tour that opened for us were you know within a few years like you know making you know doing big things and we're like huh you know, <laughs> hmm. Hmm, you know? Hmm, I see. but yeah I see that sure. choice like, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah totally I mean but yeah um and so you know as you were kind of you know touring and like you said kind of you know just jumping around to like random jobs and you know doing whatever it was that gave you the ability to like leave for tour on any given moment um you know, did you have kind of the, uh, the sense of like, oh man, like, th- like this is really fun and exciting, but like, you know, was there a- any moments and I'm sure there was of where you were like terrified of being like, oh crap, like what is it going to, I'm going to do? Like, you know, maybe once undying started to come to a close where it's like, wow. Okay. Um, I mean, I know I'm still going to play music, but like, you know, how yeah. am I going to like literally feed myself? Yeah. Oddly enough, I didn't, you know, I think, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if any of us really did. I mean, sure. you know, definitely some, you know, like some people did, but you know, uh, I never really, you know, yeah, I just thought, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I guess I thought that I would just, you know, well, when this, whenever this ends, I'll, you know, either get another, join another band or I'll just, you know, you got to work. I mean, I guess in my mind, I've always thought like, well, probably I'll have to work in to some capacity for the rest of my life. So, you know, I'll do what I want now and enjoy it and then. You know, I'll just get some job and live. You know? right. <laughs> like I'm not on, you know, yeah. I mean, on a day to day level, like I'm not like unhappy. You know, like I have, a, you know, like I can stay. You know, like I like to do a lot of stuff, so I'm just like, yeah, you know, it's fine. I just got to work. It's nice. So I never really thought that much about it. I probably should have. But <laughs> well, I mean, to, yeah, to your point, like that. You know, I, reading some study, I think it was done like I don't know, and I don't even remember the source, but it's like I, mean, I think it was like a piece in New York Times or something where it was like I, I think the amount of money that a person makes per year, uh, you know, at their job, whatever, it's like seventy five thousand dollars a year. If like you have a job that that nets you that, that's like the literal like cap of happiness, where it's like you're able to afford like, you know, rent or like maybe a mortgage and like, you're able to, you know, just have the sort of basic pleasantries of life and anything that a person makes like over that is not going to really add anything like, you know, good, like substantial to your life from that perspective. And so it's just like, Oh yeah. Like it doesn't, you know, one person's definition of quote unquote success does not mean anything to another person. Sure. Right. I mean, because yeah, I mean, those are all the cliches, right? You know, money can't buy happiness, that kind of thing. But you know, it's a uh, yeah. I mean, it's you know, you definitely. It's nice to you know, I have a decent job now. You know, and it's like you know, it's uh it's nice to not struggle. You know, from month to month. You know, like that's definitely I appreciate that. But I see what you're saying. Like at some point beyond that, you know. It's like, yeah, what are you, yeah, (laughs) right. It's like, what, what are you? Yeah. Oh, oh, cool. I make $240,000 a year or whatever. And then it's just like, Oh, what am I just going to buy more crap? Like what, what, what do I do? Like, you know, but yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, because you are a, you know, for all intent and purposes, an adult, um, you know, you're still vegan, you're still straight edge, like all these things that are, are, are supposed to not so much the veganism, but you know, straight edge, like I'm sure you get in a million conversations where people presume that you are a recovering alcoholic. Um, <laughs> right, of cause it's not like, it's not like, yeah, recovery is the definite uh, assumption. <laughs> totally. Cause it's not like you've got, all right. Uh, do you know what straight edge is? Like, you know, I don't, yeah, I, I, don't exactly. have ten, yeah. I don't have 10 minutes to like walk through what straight edge is with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but you know, why, uh, 
uh, and this is like a complete simplistic question, but something that is important where it's like, why do you still care? Like, why are you, I mean, I know this is like in your bones who you are, but, um, you know, it it would be easy to like, obviously not play in bands anymore and just kind of like, you know, do your thing, still be like, go to shows occasionally, but you know, you're, you're really active. Yeah, I mean the the playing and I mean you know if we're, if we're talking like why do I still care as far as like veganism and straight edge I mean you know, veganism obviously I'm sure we're on the same page about that you know I, I care because you know I care about animals the environment you know all that you know I think it's the right way to live you know I care about compassion you know straight edge is yeah but as far as like you know why do I still care about like yeah I mean it's probably just I I love to play you know I love to play guitar I like playing bands I like to travel you know it's like you know we're all friends in the band so it's like you know it's a lot of fun to do and at heart i still believe in you know i still believe in what we say you know i still feel like well you know somebody needs to be saying it you know like you know somebody should you know as many people as possible need to be out there saying these things you know like you know trying to push for a better world you know so i guess that's you know, but yeah, to be totally like the most simplistic answer would be like, yeah, I love to play guitar. I love to, you know, play in a band, jump around stage. <laughs> it's sure. still a lot of fun. Right. Uh, I still do love it. <laughs> sure. Sure. And the opportunities that are afforded to you in sect, especially where it's like, you know, there's literally no pressure. You get to hang out with some of your best friends. You get to play like, you know, 10 to 15 shows a year in cool places. Yeah, I mean, oh, for sure. Like, you know, I, I'd never been to Japan. I always wanted to go. You know, we went to Japan. We went to Europe twice this year. You know, like, uh, yeah, it's great. And yeah, you're right. Sect is like, it's, uh, it, we're in a good spot and that we're, you know, yeah, we're able to like, you know, we do, a, we try to do like a long weekend, like every month or every six weeks or so. And then, you know, uh, you know, one or two bigger things a year, you know, but uh, yeah, it works. It, we're able to make it work, which is we're lucky. You know, we're all really, you know, we understand we're, you know, we're thankful for the position we're in that we can, you know, we can at least make it, uh, you know, feasible to do, you know. Yeah, for sure. And and speaking of jumps, and I'm not even going to, um, you know, beat around this bush. Like you are one of the best jumpers in hardcore, in my opinion, (laughs) you like, it is so funny because like almost unequivocally, like I would say a good 80 to 85% of the pictures that people take of you, you are jumping and like, it is impressive. Like, especially for a person like I mean, the reason that I said sports earlier was the fact that it's like, that is athletic to jump like that. And, and you, I mean, and I, I mean, I remember you did that, um, you know, maybe a little more measured and undying because you were playing some like really technical yeah, stuff so you can play. Right. but you uh i mean you, you jump really well and i don't know where that comes from oh uh, we so we, we used to joke about this because do you know that band the first step dude uh, they're they're from yeah dude, great band my, my love the first step. yeah my friend uh, greg played uh played greg, bass for yeah, them. yeah yes totally. of course. yeah absolutely like you know we know those kids from like when they were young kids the ones from north carolina you know aaron and steven and uh they're i remember like seeing a video of their show and just being like, these guys are, their feet are in the air more than they're on the ground. And I knew exactly what it was is because growing up, you know, I would like sit there and pour over, you know, records and the, and, you know, the, the, uh, inserts and stuff. And in the pictures like Porcel, you know, Craig, Walter, right. They're always jumping, you know, like they're always in the air. So in my mind, I was like, well, that's just what you do. Like, you know, like you, that's just how that looks awesome. Like, you know, that's just, that's just how it works. That's what you do when you play guitar. And it wasn't until like, I saw a video of youth of today. Cause you know, we lived in, I lived in North Carolina. And so like, they did come through here, but you know, I didn't see it, you know, but there weren't a lot of shows, you know, there was no internet. You weren't going on YouTube. And you know, and so like I, there was a bootleg, you know, youth of today VHS that was going around and I got it. And I was like, yo, Porcel only jumped like once in that whole show, you know, <laughs> but that was the pick that people got, you know, they got the picks of when he jumped sure. But for kids who grew up and that the, my vision of Porcel is he's jumping, you know? And so like when I saw the first step, I knew exactly where they were coming from. I was like, these guys have just looked at pictures 
of guitar players jumping, you know, all these youth group bands. And they're like, that's just what you do. You jump the whole time. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of the same way growing up. I was just like, yeah, that's just what you do. Like, you know, you jump. I mean, apparently like if you play guitar in a punk or hardcore band, you jump around, you know? And so totally. yeah, just, that's just how it started. <laughs> Cause yeah, I couldn't go on YouTube and be like, yo, Porcel never jumps. He jumps. I mean, even to this day, you know, he jumps, you know, yeah. but I remember seeing it just being shocked. I was like, yo, he jumped like one time in that whole set. What's going on? You know? right, right. But that was the moment everybody took the picture, which is the same for me. You know, it's just like, yeah, that's the picture. You know, if I was a photographer, I guess, you know, I'd be trying to get something, you know, remotely exciting. So I guess that's just a picture people want to take. So it's that's not true. that I'm actually, you know, doing that much. <laughs> <The> poor <laughs> cell effect. You know? I, 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 there are, there are so many things that, you know, if I was some, you know, like, uh, you know, venture capitalist, like billionaire where I could like fund these like really ridiculous, but like meaningful to our ridiculous subculture. I like studies. I would want to be like, okay, like let's, let's see like, you know, per <laughs> on an average show basis, like who's, who's doing the most jumps in a show, you know, like, <laughs> Where it's like, all right, you know, like, let's look at some film footage, like, you know, maybe over the course of 10 shows and see, okay, you know, Porcel yeah. did 30 jumps and like, you know, <laughs> Jimmy did like, wow, he did 45 this show, but uh oh, he only did 14 on this show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I got I'd say that, uh, yeah, the first step, if they were still around, they, they jumped a lot. Uh, they did. I gotta say, I got a, I got a, a lot of that from, uh, uh from Chris Rawson. Oh yeah, he was in Walls of Jericho. Stick to your guns. Yes, best jumps. You know, That's best true. Sta- best stage shapes, you know. And uh, and uh, we used to tour. Well, we toured with Walls of Jericho a few times. We were close friends back in the, you know, undying days. And uh, yeah, like you know, he was the one. You know, he like taught me how to jump, like it to fit music. You know, like he, you know, I would just jump, and you know, like, and he was, and I think I asked him. I was like, how do you? You always like, you know, it. You know, you're on time with the music. Like, and he and Mike Hasty were like, oh, you got to jump and then stamp your feet down. Like, that's, you're not just jumping and landing. You gotta, and I was like, oh, but you know, yeah, I've always thought, I've always been like, man, Chris is like sick on stage. <laughs> right, right. You know, and I was always like, yeah, got to So he's, I'm sure he's got me beat on, you know, sick jumps and the number, you know, he's still, he's still, I actually just hung out with him and saw their band the, uh, the other night. And, uh, still great. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I really like that. Um, well, the, the last thing I want to hit on was, uh, this is more so from the fact, cause I know you've like done some, you know, guitar teching for like between the buried and me. And like, you know, you've been on tour, yeah. you've been on tour in a non performing perspective, kind of, you know, working sure. on the quote unquote crew, even though, you know, yeah. you obviously are friends with everybody you've ever toured with. Um, would like how how did that experience differ for you like was it you know more enjoyable because you didn't need to worry about getting up on stage or was it kind of like oh man i wish i could play up there because i obviously like to do that yeah i mean it was there were two sides to it like you know because i you know i'll fill in for bands a fair amount too and it's like a i love not having to like be in, you know, have any responsibilities, you know? So like that part was awesome. You know, I'm like, Oh, just give me, you know, they have tour manager. It's like, and that part was great. Cause it was like, I'd never even been on a tour bus, you know, and the first, first tour I did with them was on a, you know, it was on a bus. It was, you know, like with dream theater, it was like big, you know? And uh, so the, all that stuff was amazing. You know, it was tons of fun. It was tons of fun to hang out with, you know, Paul, Tommy, you know, Blake, all those guys were good friends of mine. And, uh, you know, so that, that was great, but definitely, it was a bummer to not play, you know, and that's part of the reason I eventually stopped doing it is because I was just like, I, I want to play. I don't want to sit here and watch you guys play. <laughs> you know, it was definitely, I mean, you know, as a musician, I'm sure you can remember I see shows, you know, I'm just like, I wish I was playing. <laughs> totally. Yeah. You can't help but feel like, ah, oh, I wish I was playing too, you know? And so, yeah, that part, I, you know, it would kind of bum me out to like stand there and be like, I would, you know, I want to play. I don't want to stand here and watch you guys play. But it was a ton of fun. I mean, it was very different from anything, you know, I'd ever done. Like they were, you know, it was awesome. I was so thankful that they, you know, asked me to like, you know, work for them and, you know, come on tour. You know, I did that for a few years and it was, it was great. You know, I, I'm dying had broken up and, uh, I was working like Jonathan, you know, again, he was, he had got me a job, you know, uh, working for the museum who I still work for. And, uh, but yeah, Paul called, you know, I'd only been doing it a few months and he called, he's like, Hey man, you want to go on tour? And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, that's, I do. That's awesome. So you, so you work yeah. at, you work at a, a museum? 
Yeah, I work at the Museum of Natural Sciences here, like the big you know museum downtown. Oh, that's cool. What do you? What do you? Uh, what's your role there? Uh, I work for the exhibits department. I actually build. I build and repair and install exhibits. I work in the shop. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good job. It's 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 fun. It's different, you know. It's different stuff all the time. Sure. Yeah, you get to work with your hands. So you so you're a handy person then. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, yeah, like you know, a little. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I grew up like yeah, you know, working on you know, working on cars and you know stuff like that. You know, messing around. I I, I never really did like construction type stuff until this job. But yeah, ah. it's been great. I guess I'm handy now. You know, <laughs> after doing this. No, that that's really yeah, that's cool because that, I mean that's a you know, you can practice on that trait and kind of learn it. But, um, you know, there's something that is definitely inherently kind of like in people, like as they start to, you know, work with that stuff of just like, oh yeah, like basic, you know, science and understanding of the way how things work and stuff like that. But that's cool. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's not, it's a good job. And, uh, the main thing is that, yeah, it's a, it's a state, it's the like state museum. So I, I work for the state technically and, uh, you know, uh, there's lots of time off. They're real, you know, easygoing. My boss was a musician, you know, he played, he had a band that was, you know, like big in this area, you know, when, when he was younger, you know, and, uh, so he understands that was my main concern taking the job was, you know, like shortly after I took it, I think catharsis went out for, we went to Europe for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, this is the test. <laughs> yeah. I went well, I you keep like, hey, me around. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Hey man, look, <laughs> and he was just, he was like, yeah, totally. Like, that's awesome. So, that's really cool. That's yeah. Cool. That's really the main. Yeah. It really, uh, that part is really good. You know, I get a good amount of time off in there, you know, their understanding. Sure. That's really cool. Well, uh, Jimmy, you, you've done it. You've talked about yourself for an hour, whether you knew it or not, but we, oh, good. we accomplished that. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for doing this, dude. I really appreciate it. Oh, boy. That was great, right? Thank you very much, Jimmy, for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun, and I appreciate you sharing all that you did. Next week, I have the drummer of Hope's Fall, Adam Morgan, on the show. It's exciting because actually Taken and Hope's Fall are touring Japan next year in March, and I'm very excited about that. But I had Adam on the show. I I think we had met in passing many, many years ago when Taken and uh, Hope's Fall played together, but it, it was super fun to get to know him because, um, you know, that, that band has always been really interesting to me because, um, you know, they were like hardcore adjacent, clearly hardcore kids involved in the, the shows and, you know, playing in bands and music and all that sort of stuff. But there's always this weird air of mystery of like, they're sort of a Christian band, but not really. And like, I don't know, we just dive headfirst into it and it was great. So that is what I have next week. And like I always tell you, please be safe, everybody. Hi, I'm Esther Dean. I've made my life by writing songs like Fireworks by Katy Perry, Super Bass by Nicki Minaj, What's My Name by Rihanna, just to name a few. And now I'm having an absolute blast sharing some of the knowledge that I've learned with upcoming songwriters on Songland on NBC. I'm excited to welcome you to a brand new season of Songland and Songland's podcast, giving you new insight into the magical art of songwriting as told by some of the best in the business and also the pioneers and the up-and-comers who will be shaping the hits you'll be listening to for years. We have an amazing roster of talent this season. I promise you, you don't want to miss one single episode. Don't miss Songland, Monday nights at 10, 9 central, and join us here on Songland's podcast, available every week after the show on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. 